Good evening, church. I said good evening and not good morning. I'm proud of myself. You can all turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. It's Luke, chapter 11. And this evening we're going to be looking specifically at verses 5 to 13. As you're turning there, I just want to say that it's such a joyous thing to see a church that is so happy, um, so joyous to not just worship the Lord and hear his message on a, on a Sunday, but on a Wednesday as well. There are many congregations, if they could call themselves that even, that they would be uh, frightened, they would uh, hate the idea of having to come another day in the week to hear the word of God, but not this congregation. I thank God for that, that this is a, a congregation that is hungry to hear the word of God, that is yearning to hear the word of God. Amen. And so it's my, it's my honor to kick off the first Wednesday night uh, worship of this summer. And the theme for all the messages that will be preached uh, these Wednesday nights will come exclusively from the teachings of Jesus that is what all our speakers throughout the summer will be speaking on. So with that being said, let us read the specific teaching of our Lord, which we find here in the Gospel of Luke, and which we will be looking at this evening, starting at verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, I thank you that we can gather here this evening, that we have that liberty to come and hear your word. Father, it never, never ceases to amaze me. I don't believe it, never, it ever will. That you, you take a man, you give him your word, stick him behind a, a wooden box, and just tell him to proclaim it, Father. And that is your, the method that you use to preach this gospel. That is the method you use to edify your people and to bring people to salvation, Father. What a strange and glorious thing. Father, I am unworthy to speak the words that are going to come out of my lips. And Father, I, might, I am even more unworthy to receive this salvation that you have given me, this gift that you have bestowed on me. And Father, I know many here today feel the same way. And so, I, Father, I pray that the words that I speak, they not be my own, but they be yours. May I simply be nothing but a vessel and a mouthpiece for that. Guide us, Father, may we not just hear these words, but listen to them, and not just listen to them, but act upon them, Father. 
for this is what you require, this is what you demand, this is what you ask. And so Father, be with us this evening that we may have confidence that there will be a mighty work tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray these things, knowing you hear us and that you answer us. Amen. Amen. So our subject for this evening will be prayer, and more specifically, it is persistence in prayer that we see our Lord speaking about here in this passage. Now, the reason I chose to speak about prayer is that when I examine my own life, as well as my personal Christian walk, prayer is what I most often find to be lacking, many times even absent. So in in examining this, I thought it would not be a far stretch to say that many of you feel the same way, that many of you struggle in the same way and notice this very same thing in your life. And for when I preach, I want you all to understand that I'm primarily preaching to an audience of one tonight, that is myself. I do not stand here telling you uh, to all be more like me, uh, that I am uh, in any way the perfect example of a prayerful man or how we ought to pray, uh, nor that I have fully mastered the discipline of prayer. I have not. I do not look down on the rest of you. No, instead I am preaching this sermon primarily to myself. And all of you, you are just listening in. And so to better serve you in following me this evening, I have broken this teaching up into three sections. The first point will be the importance of prayer. The second is the example of prayer. And the third is the power of prayer. So for you note takers out there, that's the importance of prayer, the example of prayer, and the power of prayer. So let's begin by first looking at the importance of prayer. Uh, There is perhaps no greater privilege given to Christians than that privilege of prayer. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said this. He said, quote, Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. Andrew Murray, a South African pastor, said, quote, Prayer is the key that unlocks the door of God's treasure house. And you see, church, it is not only that prayer is the greatest privilege of the Christian, no, but it is also his greatest need. It is Matthew Henry who once said, you may as soon find a living man who does not breathe as a living Christian who does not pray. And it was the Puritan Thomas Brooks who, when speaking about prayer compared to a shelter, saying, a family without prayer is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. However, despite prayer being our greatest privilege and being our greatest need, ironically enough, it is also one of our greatest neglects. Among the body of Christ, there are perhaps no two biblical disciplines that are more widely neglected than these. Evangelism, right, and prayer. Evangelism. And prayer. I mean, is this, is this not true? Don't we see this? Is it not common to see the, the Bible studies full, right? The Sunday services packed and the prayer gatherings sparse. And do we not also see this neglect during the times of our own personal fellowship? We may get together and read and 
discuss the Word of God for, for lengthy periods of time, and that's good and that's well, and we ought to do that. We, we may even, funny enough, spend much time discussing prayer and even how we can pray for one another, saying things like, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll be in prayer for you. And yet, how often are those prayers not spoken? How often are those requests forgotten? We may open up in a prayer and close in a prayer when we get together, maybe at the family dinner table, at our community groups, most of which last about the length of a YouTube advertisement, not more than that. But tell me, how often do you find yourself setting aside much time for deliberate prayer and setting aside time for difficult times of prayer? Yes, deliberate and difficult prayer. Praying as, as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as it were, with drops of blood. How often, tell me, do you call one another just to say, let's get together, just the two of us, and just spend time in prayer? Not talk about work, not talk about our busyness, not talk about anything, nothing but just get together and pray. Again, church, I primarily preach to myself regarding these things. If anybody needs to hear this, if anybody is lacking in these things, it is me. Beloved church, mark this. Every wandering, every stumbling, every besetment, every backsliding, every doubt, and every confusion can almost always be traced back to this one thing. Or rather, should I say, the lack of this one thing. And what is that? It is a lack of prayer. A saint who does not pray much does not gain much. He does not and cannot expect to do so. And you may be asking, now, now why is this neglect so? If, if prayer is our greatest need and it is also our greatest uh, our greatest desired is what we need the most, we, we, we need to have it. It's not only that, but it is a privilege. It is not a burden. Then, then why do we neglect it so much? Well, I believe it is because first we have forgotten the manner in which we are supposed to pray. And worse than that, we have forgotten the character of the one who we are praying to. And so when we forget these things, we lose heart and we grow faint. As for those reasons, reasons, that passages like this that we find in the Gospel of Luke in the 11th chapter, they're so precious. Why? Because in it, not only does the Lord teach us to pray, but he also reveals to us the character of the very God whom we are praying to. Now, before we jump into our text, I, I, I want to consider the verses that come before it in order to get context. So look there. Starting in, in verse 1, the, the passage that, that, that comes right before what we're going to be looking at tonight is undoubtedly one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible, and it, not just on prayer, but really in, in, in all of Scripture. And what is that? That is the Lord's Prayer. That's what we see starting in the beginning of the 11th chapter. Now, th while this is not where I want to remain this evening, it is worth seeing and considering Verse 1 of chapter 11 says this, Now Jesus, 
was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. People, just that truth ought to stun us. Really digest that for a second, for a second consider it. What truth am I talking about? That Jesus prayed. Those two words, Jesus prayed. The incarnate Son of God, God as man, prayed. If he, how much more us? And this praying of our Lord, this, this wasn't a one-time thing in the life of Christ, no. It, it wasn't uncommon, but it was in fact a lifestyle. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away, would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus, our elder brother, was a man of prayer. Christ's prayer life was, was so evident, in fact, that it, it even caught the attention of his disciples. For within the very same verse, look, it, it is one of his disciples who asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. So how important is prayer? So important that even Christ himself, God in the flesh, would slip away to it. In the early hours of the morning, slip away to it. Prayer is important. Here's a, a notable observation to consider from, from Paul Washer regarding this statement, regarding these verses that, that I find most others they overlook. Consider this. Christ walked on water, yeah, right? We're in agreement. We find that in the Gospels. Yet it is never recorded anywhere in Scripture that any of his disciples ever asked him how to walk on water. Christ healed the sick, yes? No one will deny that. Yet his disciples never asked him how to do that. Christ even raised the dead, yet there is no place in all of Scripture where we find any of his disciples inquiring how they can do the same thing. Nowhere. But what do we find? What do they find them inquiring their Lord about, asking him about? They say this, Lord, teach us to pray. Brethren, Christ must have had some prayer life that even amid all his miracles and all his wonders, all the acts of divinity, it is prayer that his disciples desire to learn from him. Not to heal the sick, not to raise the dead, not to walk on water, not to confound the Pharisees. No, they said this, Lord, of all things, teach us to pray. And so he does teach them to pray, and he begins with a model. And this is where we find, of course, as I said before, the most famous prayer ever spoken. This is the Lord's prayer. And we find it here in the book of Luke as well as a, a, a lengthier parallel passage in the book of Matthew. And so, as we find in the book of Luke, it goes as follows. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, as, uh, as wonderful and awesome as these words of our Lord are, and as much as I would love to take the time and dissect them, since I'm not given enough time to do that, that is not where I want to focus tonight, no. 
Now, instead, our focus shall be on what our Lord will say after this, what he will say in verse, between verses uh, 5 to, verses, to verse 13. And so this leads us to the second point that I want to look at tonight, and that is the example of prayer. So what do we find in these verses? Well, look there. After Jesus has given his disciples this model prayer, this famous prayer, he, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't pause. He doesn't relent. No, he, he continues on. Instead, he, he gives them two things. From verses 5 to 8, in typical Christ-like teaching, he gives them a parable. And then from verses 9 to 13, he gives them what is, could be considered less of a parable and more of an analogy. Now, what is primarily revealed to us in both these teachings what is it? Well, between verses 5 to 8, he is primarily focused on this, mark this down, man's responsibility regarding prayer. While in verses 9 to 13, he's primarily focused on the father's attitude regarding prayer. So while the parable of 5 to 8 gives us the way in which we are to pray, verses 9 to 13 gives us the reason we should have confidence in praying. And so let us begin with the parable starting at verse 5. Uh, this parable goes by many names. Uh, the parable of the, mid, of the friend at midnight. Uh, the parable of the annoying neighbor. Uh, as Gideon says it, the parable of the midnight man. That's what I call it. However, whatever you call it, the point I want you to see from this parable regarding prayer is this. We ought to pray with persistence. We ought to pray boldly without caring how we look to others. And we ought to pray and not grow faint. It says here, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So let's stop there and consider this for a moment. Why does the friend come at midnight? This may seem very odd to many of us, especially in this day and age. But what you have to remember is that Israel is mostly a desert with scorching heat and blistering sun being a regularity. So in the time of ancient Israel, travelers would often make their journeys during the night in order to avoid the heat of the day. And so it was a common occurrence to have guests arriving uh, during the nighttime. Now, what do we see this man asking of his friend? What is his request? Well, he asks for three loaves. That is, he's asking for bread. And he asked for bread because he had none to offer his guest who arrived. You see, hospitality it was a, a huge part of the Hebrew culture. It was, it was not just an improper thing, but in fact it was a shameful thing, an unthinkable thing to have a guest and not provide him with the proper food and the proper lodging. Maybe you can't relate, but me being Italian, I completely understand what they're talking about. I would be disowned. I would be disowned. So let's continue, and let's see the friend's response to his request. Verse 7, look there. It says, And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. So what do we see? We see here that though this man is his friend... He, he seems to be unwilling to give him what he needs. And what's, what's his excuse? Well, his excuse is that he is in bed with his family. 
Again, for context, in the, in the time of Jesus, families would, would often sleep together in, in one room as their, their homes were often these one-room dwellings. And so he, he, he doesn't want to get up because he doesn't want to get up to, to risk waking his entire family, risk waking the children, risk waking his wife. He doesn't want to do that to meet his friend's need. He's unwilling. And so we, we see he, he won't get up and he won't answer the man outside, despite that man being his friend. You see, to him, that, that relationship, it is not enough to motivate him to action or to answer. However, we see that the man, he does eventually answer. We know this from the verses that follow. Look at verse 8. It says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The New American Standard says it, I believe, a, a bit better. It says, yet because of his persistence. And the CSB says it uh, this way, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what is it that eventually breaks this unwilling man's reluctance? If it, if it was not based on their friendship, if it, if it was not based on that relationship, what was it? We see here it was persistence. It was the persistence of this man's request, and it was the persistence of his pleading. It was him going shamelessly. And what, what do I mean by shamelessly? Let me define that. I mean going and not caring what the other neighbors would think of him. Going and not caring that he may look like a madman or a poor man. He knew what he needed. And he knew he could not provide it for himself. And so he was not afraid to ask, even if it would mar his reputation. And even if it would make himself appear beggarly, it did not matter. I mean... I really want you all to consider this, right? Consider the scene. Put, put yourself within it. It's late at night. You and your family are fast asleep, and suddenly you receive a call from a friend, any friend. And your friend, he's, he's requesting something of you. Now, you've had a long day at work. You perhaps had children to watch. You had a spouse to care for. And the last thing that you want to do right now is help your friend out. And so you, you hang up, you hang up, and he calls back. So you hang up again, and he calls back again. And so you decide to block his number in order to finally get some rest, finally get some peace. And, of course, in response, your friend, he does the only reasonable thing. What does he do? Well, he drives to your house in the middle of the night and starts ringing your doorbell and knocking on your door. The only reasonable thing, right? And at this point, you're probably reconsidering your friendship with this guy right? He's doing this, right? You, 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 so, so you, somehow, you still don't respond. And so what does he do? He does the next reasonable thing. He begins to throw rocks at your window and screaming for your attention. Neighbors are waking up, lights are coming on, dogs are barking. And so you decide to finally answer him and to give him all he needs. You don't do it because he's your friend, at least he was, but you do it because of his persistence and because of his shameless boldness. He didn't care 
what he looked like or what others thought of him in the neighborhood. He knew you and you alone could provide for his needs. And so he wasn't afraid to come knocking. Beloved, this is, this is exactly what we have forgotten in prayer, this exact thing. It, it may seem humorous to us, but really, think about it. That is what we have lost. We've forgotten how to pray with persistence, or perhaps we never did it to begin with. We, we come before the throne of God, mumble some words, and then we give up. This is not how our Lord teaches us to pray. We ought to pray without ceasing, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, right? Like this man, we ought to pray. We ought to stand outside the palace of God and boldly make requests, boldly. And you may be saying to yourself, I, I have prayed for such and such a thing, brother. I, I, I have done that, but I, I don't seem to have any deliverance. Yes, yes, I give you that. You may have prayed, but, but for how long did you pray and why did you relent from it? And I, I, don't, I don't mean by saying that it's, that it's the length of your prayers. It's not the length, but the tenacity of them. I'm not saying pray like a Pharisee who, as it says in Mark 12, 40, for a pretense make long prayers, or like a Gentile who, as it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, think that they will be heard for their many words. No, I'm not saying that at all. Instead, I'm saying we should learn from Jacob who did what? Who wrestled with the angel of the Lord, saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Church, pray in this way, for this is pleasing to God. As Pastor Caleb eloquently put it to me, persistence in prayer is tenacity based on faith, not obstinance based on demand. Many times it seems we pray as if God is our last option instead of our first resort, right? In the words of, of the missionary Corey Ten Boom, quote, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Church, know this, there is no one else who can deliver you. No one else who can answer your requests. No one else who can provide you with those three loaves other than your Father who art in heaven. There is no other. Note that the, the, the man in the parable, right? He, he didn't go to another's house when he saw the unwillingness of his friend, did he? He did not go to another to ask them to answer his request. No, instead what did he decide? He decided to stand outside. He stood outside and with persistence persevered for he knew that it was only this friend and this friend alone who could answer his request. He dare not look for another. He dare not find another way. He continued with persistence because he knew that if he was to get true bread and if you are to get true deliverance, then there is only one who can provide it. We don't seem to truly understand this much at the time. And that is why I believe we're not persistent. We don't get that. We think that our time would be better spent somewhere else and in doing uh, something else. And when we do that, we become like Saul. We become like Saul, looking for answers from the witch of Ender. But you see, the man who truly knows that prayer is the only way, 
And the man who truly knows that God is the only deliverer will find himself being much more persistent in prayer. There is a desperation. There is an understanding. There is no other. Lord, you answer me. Lord, you deliver me. Or I will die. No one else will. You and you alone, God. Now, beloved, I, I don't want you to think that this parable is a parable of comparison. I don't want you to think that we ought to think of God as this, this unwilling friend who just can't be bothered by our prayers, uh, who, who, a God who would rather sleep than get up to answer our cries, and that what we have to do, we must annoy our Father to get him to answer us. We, we have to drive him mad in order to over, overcome his, his reluctance. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying, and that is definitely not what this teaching of our Lord is saying at all. Not at all. No. Instead, God is very willing to answer us. God is a God who is joyous to answer the prayers of his people. You see, this is not a parable of comparison, church, but this is a parable of contrast. The idea is this, if the persistent cries of this man that we see here asking for bread were capable of receiving an answer from an unwilling and irritable neighbor, then how much more will our persistent prayers to a loving and caring heavenly father be answered? If he, if he who was unwilling answered, understand, if he who was unwilling, how much more he who is willing? Brothers and sisters, do not be mistaken, God loves to answer prayer. He loves to answer the prayer of his people. And he is more than willing to answer them. This parable and its message is, is very similar to another parable we see in the very same book, the very same gospel of Luke, and that is the parable of the unjust judge. We, we find later in the book of Luke in, in chapter 18 in the in this parable, there, there is a widow. A widow comes to this unjust judge, and she's saying, give me justice against my adversary. That is her request. And although the judge is, is unwilling to answer her, and he even professes not to fear God nor respect man, he, 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 he does answer her. Now, why does he answer her? It is because of her persistence that he answers her. It is her persistence that causes even this unrighteous judge to say in verse 4 of chapter 18, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You see, this too is a parable not of comparison, but a parable of contrast. How do I know that? For look what Jesus says right after, starting in verse 6. He says, And the Lord said, that is Christ, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? Do you see? Christ is getting at the same point here in Luke 18 as we were going through in Luke 11. And that is this, if the unwilling man 
And the unrighteous judge answered out of the persistence of those who made requests of them, then how much more a righteous judge and a willing God answered the cries of his children. You may be asking, but, but I don't understand. Why does the Lord want us to pray in this way? Why, why must we be persistent in our prayers? If he is so willing, then why must we do this. I believe it is less for his sake and it is more for our sake. I believe that it is an exercise of faith. You see, persistence in prayer, persistent prayer, it exercises our faith in God, does it not? And while it is true that God never tempts, he most certainly does test our faith. The Lord may allow us to go through times of testing so that we may see the quality of the very faith that he has put in us. Otherwise, we, we would have no assurance that our faith was even genuine, correct? However, even during these times of testing, we are to pray persistently and without ceasing, knowing that if we are not being answered, it is because of our good. It is for our good, it is because it is good for us to be in whatever struggle that is that we are in. God has orchestrated it to be like that for that time. And so this brings us to our third and our final point, and probably the most glorious one, and that is the power of prayer. Let us go to, to verses 9 to 13. Look there. And what we see here, we see our Lord, he's, he's, he continues his teaching. Now, verse, verse 9, it begins, look, with an example of what I consider to be the diamonds of Scripture. And what is that? What are these diamonds of Scripture? It is this, a promise. It is a promise. And not just any promise from any man, but it is a promise from God himself. Look how it begins. Christ says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is not a quaint saying. It is not, but this is a mighty promise of God. He does not say, ask, and it may be given. No. He says, ask, and it will be given. He does not say, seek and, and you may find. No, he says, seek and you will find. He does not say, knock and there is a probability, a good chance it will be opened for you. No, he says, knock and it will be opened. It is a certainty. So what is the power of prayer? It is God himself. Where does the power of prayer reside? In the promises of God. And where do we get confidence? It is this, that God is a promise keeper. He is not like man. He is not. As it says in Psalm 145, verse 13, the Lord is faithful to some of his promises? No. The Lord is faithful to all his promises. Promises, brothers and sisters, when you pray, you can pray boldly. 
You can pray with confidence. You can pray knowing that God is at the door ready to open it. He's there. When you pray then, Christian, pray the promises of God. For in this is the whole power of prayer. Go to God and say this. Say, Lord, I am asking. I am. And you said, Lord, you said if I ask, I shall be answered. Then, Lord, answer me. Lord, I have been seeking, and you said if I, if I seek, I shall find. Will you not answer me then, Lord? Lord, you said if I knock, then the door will be opened. Well, Lord, here I am with knuckles bruised, bleeding from all this knocking that I have been doing. You must then open the door, Lord. You must. Lord, on the basis of your word, you must. I plead your promises. That is how we are to pray. I find, funny enough, that children, they understand this best. And working and spending much time with the children of this congregation, I find that they, they, they set a, a sort of example on how uh, we are to pray. Sometimes one, uh, one of the children here will ask me to, to do something with them. And many times my, my answer will simply be this, not now, but I, I promise we will do it next time. Well, needless to say, many of you parents, you understand, next time comes around, and when I attempt to shrug them off again, they say this. They say, but Mr. Francesco, you promised. You said that next time you would not deny me. You said you'd answer me. You'd said you, you, you'd do what you said. You said you'd go up and play foosball with me. You, you promised it. Aren't you a man of your word? Do you see what they're doing? They're pleading my promises. They plead my promises. They begin to reason with me. You see, if your children can expect you, fallible, you who are a liar by nature, to keep your promises, can we not expect the same from the God who never goes against his word. I go against my word, and they still expect me to keep my word, to hold to my promises. How much more we regarding God? How much more? As Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, he said this, quote, this, this holy boldness, this, this argumentation, this reasoning, this putting the case before God, this pleading his promises, this is the whole secret of prayer. Don't get me wrong, this is not twisting God's arm behind his back. This is, as I said before, tenacity, fueled by what? Fueled by faith, faith that God is a keeper of promises. God is not like you, and God is definitely not like me, who would like to shrug the request off of his people. No, he is so willing and he is so eager to answer, joyful even to answer. We are not a nuisance to him. We are not a hindrance. We do not annoy him. Look what it said in, in the verses, in the next verses, that is verses 11 to 13. Look there, it reads this. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? 
Or if he has asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the analogy I spoke about earlier. This is where Christ, he, he uses the analogy of an earthly father's disposition to his children to speak of our heavenly father's dis- disposition toward us, to those who are in Christ. But before we can continue in this, I just want to note what it says in verse 13. Look there. I want to highlight this. It says this, If you then who are evil, about who, whom is he speaking about here when he says this? He is speaking to his disciples, yes, but... I think in the broader sense, he's speaking about mankind. There are some out there who deny the doctrine of total depravity and who think that man is by nature good, but but what, what does the Lord believe? He says here, he says, if you then being evil, for him it's it's obvious. In fact, he he says it as if it were a well-known fact, as if it were a footnote in passing, as if it were not a question at all. Man is evil. For all the romantics who would say otherwise and who believe that man is by nature good, you're not fighting me, you're fighting Scripture. But that's just a side note. Now, similar to what we, we found in the parable above, the, in the parable uh, that we find in Luke 18, Jesus' point is this, if a human father, who is by nature evil, still knows how to give good gifts to his children, then how much more your heavenly Father, in whom is no evil whatsoever, give good gifts to those who ask? Let me ask you, who are fathers, would you dare give your child a snake when they ask for a fish? You who are fathers out there, would you dare give your child a scorpion when they ask for an egg? In the the book of Matthew, it adds this in the parallel passage. Who, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Tell me, would you give your son a stone instead of bread? No, of course not. Well, then if you would not, you who are a sinner, you who are wicked, you who are vile, you who are fallen, you who are, as Jesus says, evil, then how much more God... How much more the perfect, holy God. When you pray, Christian, know this, you are praying to a loving God who is ready and joyful to give you good things and never bad. And you may be, you may be saying to yourself, brother, you know, I admit you've, you've made quite a case here tonight. You, you've established it in Scripture. However, my own experience... My own experience, it tells me otherwise. Brother, I have, I have prayed persistently, and yet I, I have not seen the benefit of it. I have not seen the fruit of it. I have asked, and yet I have not been answered. I have sought, and yet have not found. And I have knocked, and yet the door remains closed. Tell me then. Tell me then, brother, if God is so good, and if he is so loving to his children, then why has this been my experience? Well, to you who ask that, I say this. You may be asking, I give you that. And you may be seeking, I give you that as well, and knocking even through prayer. But what is it you are praying for? Do you not know that these promises that we find here 
are all according to the will of God. They are within the context of God's will. They apply only within that context. Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, if some of you want to turn there, but I'll read it out to us. It says this, quote, You do not have because you do not ask. We've covered that. We understand that. Let's keep going. You, you ask and do not receive. Why? I thought if we ask, we shall receive. You said it was a promise. Listen to what James says. Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Do you not understand what he's saying here? You see, a worldly man will ask for worldly things while a Christian asks for heavenly things. When you make requests to God in prayer, do you seek to find the things you ought to be asking for? Do you ask for spiritual things or do you ask for fleshly things? Do you ask for the things of heaven or instead do you spend your time asking for the selfish things of this world? Are you asking to be more like Christ or are you asking for wealth? Are you asking to grow in faith or instead are you asking for that Ferrari? Ask yourself, where is your heart? We read here that a father would give bread when his child asks and not a stone, right? As well as a fish and not a snake when asked. And that, that our God is, is the same. But many times, I'm afraid, we do not ask for bread. And we do not ask for a fish. But instead, many times, we ask for stone. And we ask for a snake. And let me tell you, the Lord will not give the bad things to those he loves. Though you ask for them, though you ask for them persistently, he won't give them to you. During our, our youth gatherings, the, the kids will, will ask me for things that would, would, quite frankly, just be wrong for me to give them. Things that would harm them. They, they, they will ask, for instance, to drive my car. Many times they ask me that. They will ask me to give them permission to do something that would injure them, like jump off a staircase. I don't know where they get that. So, some of the boys, this is exclusive to the boys, they will ask me to punch their arms as hard as I possibly can so that I can, so they, they, they could demonstrate to me just how tough they are. Now, you see, all of these things, no matter how much they beg, and plead, and sometimes scream for, I will not answer them, ever. Why? Because it would be wrong for me to answer them. It would be a terrible thing for me to answer them. Though they, they seek, though they ask, though they knock, I will never answer. The door will never be opened to them regarding these things. It would be wrong for me to give it to them, to give them what they ask for. And I tell you that many times my prayers and your prayers are the same. They're just like that. You, you pray, for instance, to have a, a certain job, 
the very job that will take you away from your family and your church. You pray to marry a certain person, the very person whom God has for someone else. You, you, you pray to be placed in certain favorable circumstances where, where life will be easy. Yet it is that very ease of life that will keep you from leaning on God and knowing Him in a way that only trial can bring. What father would give his child a knife just because he's asked? Though, though that child, he may ask for it persistently, it would be wrong for his father to give it to him because it would do him harm, right? Remember, remember, it is bread that the man asked for in the parable, not stones. It is bread. So Christian, be sure when you pray, you are praying according to the will of God because when you pray for the things you ought to pray for, you can, be sh- you can be sure he will answer and you can be bold because of it. When I pray, for instance, to be more like Christ, I don't need to add at the end of it, Lord, if it be your will. I don't need to say that at all. Why? Why don't you need to say that? Because I already know it's his will. He says it in Scripture. I know I ought to pray for those things. Check your intentions. Check your motives. Don't don't ask God like the Israelites did in the time of Samuel the prophet. What did they want? They wanted wanted a king just like the other nations. They they, they wanted to be just like them. And, And though they knew it was not God's desire for them to have a king, and they were warned many times through Samuel, What did the Lord do? The Lord gave them a king. However, he did not give them a king in love, but in judgment he gave them a king. Be thankful then for all the times the Lord has not just said yes, but thank him for all the times he said no. A Christian prays for the things of God. That is why Jesus ends with this in verse 13. Look how he ends. He says this, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It is the things of the Spirit that should be the substance of our prayers. That is always what the Lord had in mind when he was giving us this parable and giving us this teaching. Now listen, I... I speak to all of you tonight who perhaps do not know Christ and worse, are perhaps not known by him. He says here that he will give the Spirit to all who ask. So if you are here and perhaps have seen God in a way that you have never before, if you have been coming to this place for some time, and have been convicted of your sin, and if you want to be saved, and want to be partakers of these promises, then all you must do is ask. But listen, you must ask him in true humility, knowing you cannot save yourself, knowing there is no religious ritual or good work you can do, and you must ask him in true repentance. Notice I say true repentance. How do you know that you've been truly saved? It's not because you once prayed a prayer. No, it is because 
You live a life that is changed. You love the things you once hate, and you hate the things you once love. The things you once love being the things of the world you despise. And the things you once hate, the things of God you now love and hold dear. If that is the case, then it is evidence that you are being saved, that the Spirit is at work within you even now. And still many of you who are Christians here tonight might be saying to me, but brother, I, I have investigated my heart and determined my motives. I, I determined I am asking for bread. I am asking for the godly things, and yet I feel as if there is still no answer. Life is only seemingly getting harder for me, and I have no relief Then I leave you with these words, the words of John Newton. He says this in his famous hymn, Not an Amazing Grace, the other one. He says this, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith.'" Church, to pray according to the will of God is a dangerous thing. Many would say that the prayer of sanctification is to pray a death sentence on yourself. That is to pray to be more like Christ. Why? Because he will answer that prayer. For that prayer is bread, not stone, and it is his will. However, the way he will answer will not always be the way we expect nor the way we prefer. Seek his will, Christian, and you can be sure your prayers will be answered. Ask and seek and knock in this way and for these things, and he shall answer. In fact, he must answer. Amen? Amen. So with that being said, let us not just hear this message and forget about it, now instead, let us go and, and practice this, pers this persistent prayer. And so let us, let us close in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Lord, Father, I thank you for, for teachings like this and messages like this. Father, prayer is such a privilege, and yet we squander it so, many of the t so much of the time. Father, we are, we're such weak and feeble people that we do not even know how we ought to pray. But Father, you knew that, and you were gracious, and so you teach us how to pray. And you teach us not to lose heart, and you teach us not to grow faint, and you teach us that it is our responsibility, it is our prerogative to be persistent, while it is your prerogative, Lord, to answer faithfully. Father, we ask to be more Christ, we ask to be conformed more to your image. I know that if there are those here today that are truly Christians, Father, that is their greatest and utmost.
desire, there is nothing else. And Father, I pray that even amid many and much of their hardships and turmoil, that they can go through it, as it says in the book of James, with joy, knowing that they will see you all the more clear, Father. And if we must go and traverse through the difficulties and the mud of this world to have even the slightest glimpse of you, to have that picture a little bit more clear, Lord, then it is all worth it, all worth it in the end. I thank you, Lord, hear our cries. Teach us to be persistent. Teach us to not lose heart nor grow faint. And be with us and be with this church, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.